Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracy. And I am Corwin Heller. Didn't and today's yeah, there you go. Today's a special episode, kind of. It's episode 100. Woo! Ooh, we did you it. Can count to 100. 100 episodes. Well, our uh, our thing keeps track for us. I don't think I feel like counting that high. Uh, it's special because we did it, and it's not special because it's still the show. <laughs> we did uh, we did nothing special for it, but the fact that it is what it is inherently makes it special, and uh, that's enough. You know, that's enough for me. Yeah, I remember saying I, we should do something special, and then I completely forgot about it. So. Oh yeah, we said that shit months ago. We can't be held oh, accountable yeah. for that. No way. Absolutely I can't be held not. responsible for stuff I say in a conversation five minutes ago. By the time we finish the show, I will forget what we talked about to start the show. That's how I feel every time I look at one of our um, bold takes from preseason. <laughs> like I think to myself, like, wow, I wrote this? <laughs> like, why did I write this? This is terrible. But, uh, yeah, because you can't hold me accountable for that. Once it, once, Man, once it leaves my head, it's like not my problem anymore. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Josh? Well, uh, I have a few football kind of stats stuff for us. I figured we could talk about, uh, but I figured to open the show, we could do a little bit about the recent signings. Uh, well, one one trade and one signing. This will make you a little bit sad, but Madison Bumgarner yeah. signed his contract. That's not what makes you sad. What makes you sad is that Corey Kluber got traded to the <sighs> Rangers. Uh, so let's start with Bumgarner just because there's less going on with that. Um, okay. It's a five-year... I've seen a lot of numbers for what the actual value of this is, but it's a five-year, to my understanding, $85 million contract um, with, I believe, $15 million in deferred money to get it to a total value of $100 million. So It was something weird like that. Regardless, because that extra $15 million over the course of five years doesn't really change the AAV like that much. What do you think of this signing? I think it's a little weird just because I never expected the uh, I almost said the Arizona Cardinals, the Arizona Diamondbacks to actually be pushing for a top tier pitcher. I mean, they just traded away Grinky last year. I know that was for prospects and whatnot, but kind of a surprise. Obviously, I don't dislike the signing. He's a great pitcher, and I think this contract is, you know, a low ball, not not necessarily a low ball, but you know, good money for him and for the team. Yeah, I, at first glance, it's definitely strange. I do think that, given some time to ruminate on what the Arizona Diamondbacks are at their core, it actually is kind of fucking brilliant. Like, let me let me read you the Arizona Diamondbacks starting rotation depth chart heading into um, the 2020 season. As it stands right now, it would be Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, Merrill Kelly, A. Young? I don't know who that is. Luke Weaver, Mike Leake, and Zach Gallen. Alex Young. I don't know who that is still, but Alex Young. Anyway, uh, that's honestly not awful at all. That's actually a pretty fucking okay starting rotation. That might be like... It's definitely not as good as the Dodgers still, even though they're they're losing a couple guys. And it might be better than the Padres just on sheer force of depth, not necessarily 
top end guy versus top end guy, but just through the entirety of it, it's certainly I'd say I'd say it's maybe two B to the to the Padres two A. Um, but it, it's it's right. That's a that's a that's a rotation that shouldn't actively be losing you games. No, I mean a starting five rotation of Bumgarner, Ray, Gallen, Weaver, and I guess Merrill Kelly would be their number five if they're not rotating Mike Leak in there. That's a pretty great rotation, and they got some good young guys in there to match with, you know, these veterans like Ray and Bumgarner. Yeah, and so I think what the Diamondbacks have proved very so I've been trying to think about how I would classify the Diamondbacks, and they're I don't think they're a small market team. They're obviously also not like a big market team. I'd say they're like a me a middle, middle sized market, right? No market team. Huh? A middle market team? Kinda, yeah. I can't really think of a better term. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Like they're not the Yankees, but they're not the diamond. They're, they're not the um. They are the Diamondbacks. <laughs> <laughs> they're not like the the Rays, you know. Oh yeah. And I think that what they're showing is just really efficient use of dollars. So, uh, Paul Goldschmidt was getting paid a lot of money, and they had a trade on the table that would have brought in young talent. They had a guy in uh, Christian Walker that they thought could be some decent percentage of what Goldschmidt currently was, and they found a way to clear a little bit of money off the books by trading Goldschmidt, albeit difficult because, you know, he's such a franchise player. I mean, it's it's odd to move him, but it made a lot of sense. They got prospects back. They got to start Christian Walker, who finished, I believe, top five in, in, in um, NL Rookie of the Year voting. And they, you know, they'll be fine in that respect moving forward. And then it's kind of the same thing that they just did with Zach Greinke to Madison Bumgarner, where Zach Greinke was due quite literally a second most uh, out of any starting pitcher on a per year basis up until the Garrett Cole signing. So I guess now third most. And they thought that they could move on from him with the hope of signing one of the several free agent starting pitchers that were going to be in the market. And they got a clear. Uh, $34.5 million per year, as well as bringing in a few prospects. And then they used half of that to sign uh, Madison Bumgarner because at $85 million per year over the course of five years, that's $17 million a year, literally half of what Zach Greinke was getting on a per-year basis. So I I, I think this is kind of just brilliant, honestly. Yeah, I mean don't get me wrong i don't think they're in much of a position to compete in that division um the rest of their you know starting lineup is quite old outside of you know josh rojas christian walker and Catel Marte. but man if you know they start bringing up prospects if they start moving guys around and whatnot they could have a pretty serious uh team you know with this rotation they don't necessarily need the hot bats that you know other teams have i think they could do well even if it is not you know a competing spot yeah they definitely won't win their division that's still going to be the dodgers until proven otherwise the same way i believe the browns will be bad until proven otherwise hmm. um the dimebacks did finish 85 and 77 last year so eight games over 500 that put them only four games behind milwaukee for the second wild card spot. So in terms of wild card contention or just 
you know, general levels of playoff contention, they were right in it mm-hmm. last year um, for for a good stretch of time. So I don't know. I I, I really I kind of think this is a really cool move. Yeah, I don't dislike it. You know, I when I first saw it, obviously I was taken aback because it just came out of left field. It seemed like, but super weird. Yeah, but I don't hate it. Yeah, apparently Bumgarner also wanted to stay in the National League because he likes batting, and I'm really not surprised if or if you had if you had told me that Bumgarner was looking to stay in the NL West because he wants to fuck the Giants, um, since they didn't resign him based on who he is as a person, wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I would not either. Yeah. Really wouldn't. Like, I bet if the, the Dodgers put a serious offer out for him, because I doubt they did, uh, he probably would have signed there. But he didn't. That would be pretty cool if we could see, you know, him in that crazy Dodgers rotation. Um, as much as I am not a huge fan of the Dodgers, just seeing that kind of talent all together would be pretty cool. I would personally love to see him on the Padres just to bring the veteran presence to that that Padres rotation because it's so young, good, so good, but young. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the Dodgers rotation, uh, quite suspect, I must say, actually, looking yeah. at it. So I it's Clayton, it up as well. Yeah, Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Kent Maeda, Julio Urias, and that's it for starters currently list now granted i'm sure that there's a uh a triple a AAA guy or the, a trade or something incoming but yeah so that they still have weird they have dustin may in their bullpen but he's definitely a guy who they're gonna stretch out and have be a full-time starter if he starts the season as their number five i wouldn't be surprised yeah he was um, playing very well at the end of the uh, year last year they could, I mean, they still have a guy like Ross Stripling that they oh, could bring yeah. back as a starter. They have options they can uh, use, obviously. They definitely have the prospect talent for it. Uh, let's pull that up and just see what they have there. Yeah, um, plus they have a great as bullpen as they have for a while now. You know, they could, they could definitely get uh, bullpen days in there at their discretion. What, what's up? I'm on the Dodgers website. And next to the depth chart, they have their top 20 prospects link. Okay. Uh, And I clicked on it, and it is, it goes straight to their 2014 prospect list. That's hilarious. I'm doing the same thing. That's so funny. So they have guys like Corey Seager. Julio Arias is still there. Jock Um, Peterson. Yep, Jock Peterson. Alex Verdugo uh, is still on. Yeah, there. I was say, that's the only other name I recognize. Yeah, Austin Barnes is there. How do you get this to not be 2014? That's so fucking stupid. Cody Bellinger is their 20th overall prospect. Funny how that works out. This is insane. All right, so in the URL it says 2014. Dude, that's so funny. We're doing the exact same things right now. Yeah, I'm just gonna Google Dodgers prospects. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't you this just is, all this. love listening to us Google things? That is what most of the show consisted of, talking while Googling. <laughs> um, so Dustin May is their number two overall prospect, number 32 overall, and the number 10 right-handed pitcher. Um, they have guys like Josiah Gray over there, Tony uh, Gonsolin. Um, they have a couple. They don't have any other uh, heavy hitters outside of Dustin May. So he'd definitely be the guy I expect to be brought up this year. Uh, possibly start the season with the big league. 
big league team. All right. Yeah. They uh they're they're gonna have to I just find it so weird that they really haven't done anything. Yeah, they've been they've been I mean, rumored they got to do and then that's it. Yep. Do you do you, do you see a trade for them incoming? I I don't. I don't know who they would trade for. Um, well, I I, I mean, guess I guess that lets us talk about Corey Kluber now. Yeah, or the Indians, I should say, as as, as a whole. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know. I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> we we. I, I just hate how we talked about it and we talked about, oh, like, who would the Indians move? Who would the Dodgers be interested in? And I just straight up said, if Kluber was traded, he would be the person I would be least upset about because he's a robot. And here we are. Oh, God. So, so you know how I have my stack of uh, baseball cards on my desk? Yes. Do you want to take a wild guess at who's right on top staring at me right now? I'm going to go with Mr. Robot himself, Corey Kluber. It is Corey Kluber. So the Cleveland Indians sent Corey Kluber, their two-time Cy Young winning pitcher, to the Texas Rangers in exchange for outfielder Delano DeShields Jr. and right-handed pitcher Emmanuel Clase, who throws a 101-mile-per-hour cutter. Fucking insane. Yes. Anyway, uh... I believe I don't have this part in front of me, but I believe that the uh, Kluber trade includes um, or the the Rangers are paying the remainder of Kluber's contract um, and they're splitting the uh, one million dollar assignment bonus. Basically, MLB players can, if they choose, put in a clause which says if I get traded, I am owed by some party X amount of dollars. Corey Kluber's was a million dollars if I get traded. So mm-hmm. he got traded. So the Indians are paying 500000 and the Rangers are paying 500000 So let's ask ourselves why the fuck did they do this? <laughs> Question number one. And I think I can reasonably answer it to make you less sad. Are you ready? Yeah, I'd like to hear it. All right. The biggest thing first is that. They just cleared up all of the money that they would need to keep Francisco Lindor through arbitration. Yes. And that, I think, by itself is reason number one, is that the Cleveland Indians, despite what their ownership has been saying, really wants to hang on to Francisco Lindor. They love him. The fans love him. The team loves him. The stats love him. Everyone loves Francisco Lindor. So by clearing up this money, by trading away Corey Kluber and aging Corey Kluber, even though, you know, whatever, they now do have that money to be allocated to him, to Lindor. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely. Um, He was getting older. His velocity has been going down the past uh, four years, I think, Um, coming off injury. You know, it it was by all means a salary dump. Uh, it's just, you know, the return was questionable, I'd say. Um, I mean, Delano DeShields, uh, I know I won't pronounce that right, but oh well. Um, he's going to be like our number four outfielder. Four or five. 
I don't expect him to start for us at all until, you know, injuries uh, come about. And Clace, he was their number 30 prospect. Granted, a lot of people have been very, very high on him since this trade has come out and the news of him being moved has come out. Um, so that'll be exciting to see. Honestly, though, I it's for a relief pitcher and a f- number four outfielder that is already not a great outfield. Uh, just I don't know if it was worth giving up Corey Kluber when this is still a team very uh, much in a position to compete for a championship uh, this year. And that brings me to my second point that I am assuming, not that I agree with this, but I am assuming that the Indians feel as though they don't need Corey Kluber. Yeah. And I assume that, that they think this because the Cleveland Indians won 93 games last year and Corey Kluber, I believe, recorded a win in two games for them last year. And so they feel as though through their um, pitch coaching, pitching development, the players that were impactful for them last year, the players that could be impactful for them that are um, have yet to become a part of that roster yet from either you know minor leagues or trades or what have you, that pitching-wise, they are... They're not so concerned with the rotation is really the only other thing that you can you can surmise from that. I mean, they do have a good rotation and they have a lot of good young guys. Um, You got Carlos Carrasco, who's probably going to be number one or number two. Mike Clevenger's right there. Shane Bieber's right there. Um, And then after them, you got some young guys that they're high on with. Adam Pluko, Zach Plesak, uh, I think it's Adam Savali. Um, but regardless, uh, it's Aaron. But they have young guys who can step up. And listen, if you're saving a lot of money and you got have guys that can replace Corey Kluber, this is great. But at the same time, if you're going to move a guy like Kluber, I feel like you're still, or the Indians still got lowballed. Um, so I don't disagree with the decision to move Kluber. It's just what they ended up deciding on. Yeah, I can understand it because there's nothing that I can really say <laughs> at this point to make you feel as though the Indians um, couldn't have gotten more or shouldn't have gotten <laughs> more. Uh, I think that the Indians were just looking for a specific minimum requirement for what they wanted and the Rangers provided that. I really don't know what else there is to truly say about it. Uh, maybe they, you know, there, there's also like the things that we'll just never know. Like maybe the Indians weren't impressed with how Kluber's rehabs were going. Um, maybe the Indians just didn't feel comfortable with, um, I don't know, Corey Kluber's ability to recover from the injury, which is really just the same, another way of saying the same thing. But, you know, there could be a behind the scenes kind of thing that we're like just not privy to. And I'm, also the fact yeah. that he's going to be 34. So I, I, I'm, I don't know. It, it, it does feel light 
from a logic perspective, it seems to make sense, but it still at the same time feels light. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's, you know, there's a lot of factors involved with this. There's a lot of information that, you know, we as the public or media don't and will never know. Um, Are we the media? I, yes. I, you know what? As I was saying, like the public, I was like, you know what? Are we the public still? Like, are we the media? Let's just throw it in there. Why not? Um, but yeah, um, we'll see. And, you know, there's been countless times where people have just scoffed at trade saying, you know, this is clearly one sided and it's either been quite fair or going the other way. We just have to wait and see. So. Let's wait so I, w- I went to the Texas Rangers depth chart page to, to see what uh, how else they had in their outfield. And, you know, it's no one really great, like, you know, Willie, uh, Joey Gallo, but they're not moving Joey Gallo. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's like Willie Calhoun. So I went to their top 30 prospect link and I probably went to the 2018 prospects. And so what's happening? <laughs> I don't know. I did that with the Indians, too, and they've just brought me straight to the Indians. This is uh, uh, sorry, 2018. Oh man, I don't get it. Fucking oh well. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I really have anything else constructive to to say about the Ooh. this trade. Do you? Um, no, not much. Uh, I would have liked to get a guy like Cole Wynn out of their prospect pool um, instead of Delano DeShields, or like a Bubba Thompson instead. But you know what? Beggars can't be choosers. Yeah, you win some, Actually, you lose some. Were were the Indians beggars here? I don't actually know. Were we begging people I, to I, Corey Kluber? I keep saying wait. I, I would say they definitely wanted to move Corey Kluber, but they were not desperate to move Corey Kluber. Yeah, I got that. Granted, ownership could have just like spent more money, but <laughs> it's the Indians. Yeah, that's that's really all there is to say. So, what do you think the Rangers are going to do this year with Corey Kluber there? I'm so they excited! Have one to of find the out. wildest rotations that I've seen. Their whole team is fucking bizarre. Yeah, it's like but, the Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, but their rotation isn't bad at all. Corey Kluber, Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and then some guy named Jordan Lyles. Is that what Jay Lyles is? Uh, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, Jordan Lyles. Uh, that's, that's not fucking bad. Miner and Lynn had fantastic years going by war last year. Corey Kluber, literal two-time Cy Young winner. And, you know, I think Kyle Gibson as your fourth to fifth starter is like a fine, like he'll, he'll, you know, he's not going to tear the roof off the joint, but he'll be fine. You know, he'll, he'll keep, uh, he'll keep you in games most of the time. I fully expect, oh, go ahead. their whole team is just so fucking weird like you got joey gallo in right field who hits more runs than singles literally um and just a bunch of nonsense players i don't know it's just a weird team i fully expect their rotation to be either the best or the worst in baseball or somewhere in between they're clearly coming after the A's, which, you know, I guess like more power to you. Um, the Rangers did finish oh, 19 games behind the A's last Holy year. Holy shit. 
Yeah, the uh, A's won 97, the Rangers won 78. Although, if I recall correctly, the Rangers' first half was very good. Uh, they think they went into the All-Star game in second place in the division and then just sucked for the second half. Uh, but <sighs> they have a high... Hey, you know what? You know what they're doing? They're doing what the Angels fucking should have. Which is? Signing pitchers. Yeah, signing yeah. pitchers. They, they, they signed uh, Kyle... They took a flyer on Kyle Gibson and they traded for Corey Kluber. And if the Angels had did that... We'd be fawning over those amazing signings because literally the only fucking thing that team really needs to be on the fringe of contention is pitching. And they've done fuck all. Show high Otani. We'll pitch once every six days. And then like they still, they sh- why don't they sign Hunjin Rue? Why didn't they sign Madison Bumgarner? Like that I can't say. Well, I mean, they gave all their money to Rendon. They're paying so much money to Rendon, um, Mike Trout, Albert, Albert Pujols, Pujols, and um, what's his fucking name? Justin Upton. Justin Upton. Dude, those three guys like per year are making got to be $120 million just between the, those are those four guys. Uh, no, maybe not 120, probably like 100. Uh, those guys or the entire of the Pirates franchise? Wait, say again? Who gets paid more, those four guys together or the Pirates? Oh, those four guys together. <laughs> That's not even going to be close. <laughs> let's, but, see, let's see what their salary is. No, uh, no. Uh, we have other things to talk about today. We're not going yeah, down this road okay, right okay, now. Okay, 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 okay. So let's talk about the thing that I had actually prepared for us to talk about. Um, so let's start with the, uh, the, the, the spreadsheet guy, just because why not? So... Um, what I was thinking about while watching football the other day is so we talked last week about fourth quarter performance on offense for the Seahawks and uh, I forget who else I think Dallas and I wanted to know who did the best in the fourth quarter and then I just figured I'd do it by each quarter and the worst in each quarter because I want to know who provides you the wildest fourth quarter experience. Blake Bortles. And I, and I figured the easiest way. Well, no, like what team? Because I figured the ease, the, the, a good way of doing that would be who is getting the most touchdowns in the fourth quarter and allowing the most touchdowns in the fourth quarter, or at least okay. who is providing okay. a good combination of those two factors. Because that means that your team is either like battling it out back there or they're just getting rammed and needing to uh, to try to come back a la the Lions. So there's nowhere to get this, <laughs> at least in my extensive Googling and my use of pro football reference, I could not find points per quarter anywhere. All I really? could find, and I had to manually type up this entire thing going into each individual splits page for each individual team, uh, for offense and defense, I had to go just by touchdowns. So this doesn't count field goals. It doesn't count um, extra points made or missed. It's just the number of touchdowns, offensive uh, touchdowns, and defense touchdowns allowed, so no special teams touchdowns uh, per quarter. 
I'm Makes totally sense. okay with that because touchdowns are why we're here. Field of goals are disappointments. Well, I figured it would be nice if we had like total points, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Since we're going after like like you said, enjoyment factor here, I think just having touchdowns is very, very reasonable. Yeah, yeah, I'm not mad at it. I wish I wish I had a little bit more, but I'm not mad at it. So let, let's take it quarter by quarter, just because you know, like, why not? Uh, so the, the best team in the fourth in the in the first quarter is uh, no surprise the Baltimore Ravens. They have 16 offensive touchdowns. That's so many. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that's a lot of them. Second place is the Packers. Third place is the Buccaneers. Fourth, the Patriots. Fifth, the Niners. And there is one team in there that just does not belong. <laughs> the Buccaneers. God, they suck. Or are uh, really good. Who's no, they're say? not. <laughs> we are. Uh, worst teams in the first quarter, you may ask. The Bears have two touchdowns total. The Rams also have two. And then the Bills, Texans, Steelers, and Redskins all tied with three. Oh, man. Steelers are just so, so bad. Well, you're still going to the playoffs for now, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay. That's fair. Uh, so first quarter, what, what are you looking for out of your team in the first quarter? Uh, I want to see uh, multiple drives to start out the game where you can put points on the board um, and offensively you want to see a good game plan a good script that's attacking the weak point well i guess in this context uh i want to see back-to-back touchdowns the first two drives if you fail after that that's fine you can make adjustments but for the first two drives when all the plays are scripted that's when i want to see scores yeah i i I would think in a similar vein that you have the opportunity to make your game plan yours and uh a lot of teams are struggling with that, apparently, but you know, this is what it is. So, speaking of adjustments, let's go on over to the second quarter and uh, let's see who's succeeding there. Second quarter, we have a three way tie for most touchdowns between the Kansas City Chiefs, Tampa Bay Buccaneers again, and the Baltimore Ravens, all of whom have 15 touchdowns in the second quarter, followed by the Giants and Cowboys tied with 14. Uh, damn. What are you looking for out of your second quarter performance? Um, it's hard to say. I guess it's just a continuation of you know the first where you continue doing what was working, and if it you know if you're failing to score in the first quarter, making adjustments so that you can try new things, and I don't know, making adjustments. I guess. Yeah. So that's the thing is, I was making adjustments too. So I figured we'd see a lot of like good coaches here. And the Chiefs and the Bucks and the Ravens, you could definitely say that. Because, uh, you know, the Chiefs, Andy Reid, the Bucks, Bruce Arians, like, you know, the team might be bad, but, like, I, I still believe in Bruce Arians to a degree. Uh, he's a veteran coach. And the Ravens, Harbaugh is phenomenal. And, you the know, Giants you, look and at, you look at the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers, and their offenses that are scoring essentially at will. Oh, yeah. So it's, yeah, so... It's not necessarily even adjustments in the second quarter, or it's just a continuation of that ex- uh, excellence in offense. Yes. Are hard today. No, I, I got you. Uh, but anyway, the, the Giants and Cowboys being second on this list with coaches who very much show, so should, should be fired is quite perplexing. 
Yeah, I mean, the Cowboys offense has been good this year. Uh, the Giants have not. I'm perplexed as to how they even made it this far. Uh, yeah, because you figured, and we'll, we'll get to the Giants, uh, I, I guess, later. Uh, fourth quarter touchdowns, which you would figure would be the most because bad teams usually get most of their touchdowns in the fourth quarter because the opposing team defense isn't trying as much anymore because you're losing already. Uh, they have eight, which is actually, well, it is second most, but they're almost double that with the 14 in the second quarter. The team with the least second quarter touchdowns, the Jacksonville Jaguars have one, one, that a single touchdown in the second quarter. Yes. Yes. That's so incredibly bad. You know what's also incredibly bad? Being what? second on that list. Or it is the Steelers. The yeah, Steelers have five. Um, that's still like a pretty decent jump. Four entire touchdowns to go from from first to second is a bad look. <laughs> uh, all right, let's take you to the third quarter. So now it's, you know, halftime has happened. You've got 30 minutes of game behind you. you got 30 minutes of game ahead of you. You need to come out with, uh, a new script, a new game plan, a way to adjust your existing game plan to make it better suited for what you saw in the first half. And the best team in the third quarter is the Chicago Bears. That's insane. Thir- 13 touchdowns in the third quarter. Most out of any team in the league. Second place is a tie between the Tennessee Titans, New Orleans Saints, Philadelphia Eagles, and San Francisco 49ers, each with 12. But the Bears at 13 is weird. I mean, look at the top half of this list in the third quarter. It's all tremendous coaches. Matt Nagy has had issues, but, you know, by all means, he's a great offensive coach. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, I mean, the Eagles, Saints, Titans, Patriots, Steelers, Ravens, Chiefs, Rams, Texans, like, they're all very good teams with good coaches. And this is when you see, you know, the adjustments coming through. When you have that, you know, halftime period to go over things with your offensive coordinator, work things out, find what's not working, find what is working. And these are the adjustments. So having a big jump from the first half to the second half, like the Bears do, I think a lot of that is coaching and none of it is on Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, I would say Um, all of it is coaching. Yeah. And it's that's really good to see that. Like if you're a Bears fan and you're crying because of how bad your team is set up for the future um offensively that's a very good sign and i think most bears fans would be in agreement that matt nagy is not the problem whereas mitch trubisky is yes he has been better lately sure it's a low bar but worst team in the third quarter the cincinnati bengals have one touchdown yeah one uh the raiders have two and then the redskins and jets are tied with three um, I'm, I'm really and then glad Dolphins at four. At the bottom of this list. Yeah, so these are teams. Uh, the Raiders, I think that you could maybe say the jury is still out, but these are teams with not good coaches. Uh, the Bengals, I understand, they have a rookie coach, and the Redskins are coached by an interim coach. The Jets have no excuse at all, um, and then the Dolphins also with a rookie coach. But, eesh. Oof. And the Ra- the Raiders have been awful as of late they just cannot yeah. score at all they oh. started off so strong too yeah oh well it's a good thing they have their coach for the next eight years 80 million dollars so, yeah 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 they uh 
Mm. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Get into the most interesting category or quarter. The reason uh, I wanted to do this, the fourth quarter for offense, most touchdowns scored. The Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons have 17 offensive touchdowns scored in the fourth quarter. Uh, Second is the Houston Texans with 16, followed by the Tennessee Titans at 15. The Cowboys with 14. And the Bills with 13. What do you make of this top five? The Falcons are insane. They have 18 touchdowns combined in the first three quarters this year and have 17 in the fourth. Oh, yeah. How? I mean, I get that their defense has been, well, I guess it has been better lately after the bye, but. Their defense hasn't been good this year, and they have a lot of catching up to do, but I don't get how you can basically have half of all of your touchdowns in one quarter. It's, it's, it, I, I don't know. I don't know. They're, they're, they're clearly just fucking praying and throwing yeah. the ball around. You know, everyone, you know, Matt Ryan turns to Uncle Rico over there and just, just kind of like lets it fly. Fucking guess. Ball mountains yeah clear over the mountains um fuck man it's it that makes for some great football though i'll tell you that oh yeah uh the Don't worst bother team. watching the first three quarters of that game well we'll get to that the the, the worst mm-hmm. teams in the fourth quarter offensively the broncos have three touchdowns in the fourth quarter all year the steelers have four hey. and then it's a four-way tie with the bengals jets chiefs Bears all with six. Uh Chiefs being a weird one. Um, I would usually say it's because they're so good they don't need to score touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And they are still very good this year, but they're not so good that they should just stop scoring touchdowns in the fourth quarter. That's kind of mm-hmm. weird. Uh what make you of this bottom of the list? Uh makes me sad for one. Yeah, um, same. Honestly, but- though, like it's weird seeing the Chiefs here because, like you said, they are a much better team than what is everyone showing. else here. Um, but you know, other than that, it, it's the usual suspects. Like the Broncos. I mean, Drew Locke has been uh, pretty great for them since he's uh, taken over as the starter. But that offense is not very good altogether. The Steelers. I don't want to talk about uh, Bengals. <laughs> are just a trash fire the jets we shouldn't talk about either um you know no, the jets are poorly coached that, that, that's really all there is to it the jets yeah. uh, granted they have yeah just, you have injury problems and like they have no offensive line and they could use a wide receiver one but they're poorly coached like like ev- every single all the things i just said like 90 percent of teams in the league can say they're just poorly coached can i ask you a tangent question absolutely at what point in the season did you realize that Adam Gase was the kryptonite of your team? Um, it actually took a few weeks because so week one, like we barely lost. We lost on uh, that field goal, you know, so it was like 17, 16, you know, CJ Mosley had come out of the game because he was hurt. And that was right when our defense started falling apart. So it was like, all right, you know, I, I don't blame this on him. And then you had to start Trevor Simeon the next game, and it was like, oh, well, what do you expect? And then you had to start Luke Falk for the next two games, and you're like, what can you expect? And then Sam Darnold came back, and he wasn't quite ready. Like, you know, he was still getting his footing, and it's like, well, what can you expect? And, uh, oh, God. 
So it took it took like six weeks or so. I would say yeah. when did we lose to the to the Dolphins? Because <laughs> I would yeah. say that's it. That honestly, that's a good marker. Uh, we lost to the, to the. Yeah, so I think Sam came back for the Dallas game. That's when we got our first win, and then he got creamed by the Pats, and then we lost to the Jaguars, and then we lost to the Dolphins. Week nine. Week nine was when I was like, "All right, this has been enough." <laughs> All right, there's something fishy going on here, and I don't like it. Oh, get out of here. Boo. Uh, what are you booing? Your fishy joke. Uh. <laughs> I did not mean that. Oh, fuck you even more. <laughs> fuck you harder. <laughs> fuck you twice. This is terrible. You should get coal for Christmas and not Garrett. Uh, you know what? Oh, I got bad <laughs> jokes too. Man, I'm so good at puns. I don't even know that I'm making them. Oh, well, that was awful. Yeah, <laughs> that whole was... sentence was trash. I All don't right. know when you've ever said a sentence of mine wasn't trash. I'm bad at speaking. <laughs> I'm illiterate. <laughs> I'm uh, highly right. edumacated. So let's move on to the other end of this. This is defensive touchdowns allowed. So the worst team in the first quarter, <laughs> uh, having allowed 11 touchdowns, is the Giants, followed by a tie between the Jets, Chiefs, Finns, and Jaguars, each with 10. Again, a weird appearance by the Chiefs. Very weird. I mean, their defense hasn't been fantastic this season, but they've yeah. been very good. Uh, it's You know, uh, Chiefs are weird, man. I yeah, guess they just like playing from behind. I guess. Uh, well, are they even ever playing from behind? I, I couldn't even tell you. Uh, it definitely feels weird that they've been uh, in two places you wouldn't expect them to be. But success is what it is. So, you know, I guess it's all working out for them. Let's yeah. get into uh, the second one. So this is, again, like we said for the second quarter on the offense, this also reflects the defense coaching. How well do you handle your opponent's second half adjustments? How well do you make your own second half or second quarter adjustments based on what you saw from the opposing offense in the first quarter? And the worst teams at doing that are the Miami Dolphins, Miami, the Miami Dolphins, <laughs> the Oakland Raiders, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Arizona Cardinals, each of whom have allowed 15 touchdowns in the second quarter. Hard All by the Lions with 13 and the Redskins with 12, and we will not go further. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. So what make you of this uh, this top top of the list here? It's a lot of bad defenses. Just straight up, that's really all you can say about these. Uh, Dolphins, Falcons, Raiders, Cardinals, Lions, Redskins have all had very bad defenses this year. Um, this is true. And that's just... If you have a bad defense, you're going to give up a lot of touchdowns. You know, it's hard to End argue when it's just, yeah, it's just that simple. Uh, I didn't say who allowed the fewest first quarter touchdowns. I want to loop back to that for a second. Fewest first quarter touchdowns allowed was the Ravens with three, um, followed by a big old tie between the Packers, Saints, Patriots, Bills, Broncos, and Arizona Cardinals. Um, <laughs> Who you just said were a bad defense, and I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. But 
yet they have allowed very few first quarter touchdowns. Clearly, they're just a good first quarter team and bad second quarter team. Uh, the team, the teams with the fewest second quarter touchdowns allowed. The Broncos again with three. Uh, the the Kansas City Chiefs with four. The Buffalo Bills and Niners are tied with five, followed by the Chargers with six. So yeah, these are all good defenses. This is where yeah. I wouldn't expect the Chiefs to be this high this time. Um, but clearly they're just balancing out how weirdly high they were on the other one. Yeah, it's that's just the way it works out sometimes, you know? Some got to, ugh, God, words are so fucking hard. Sometimes teams just score right before the uh, end of the quarter, so it's close, you know? Sometimes teams just have really good defensive coordinators that are good at making adjustments. Some teams have Andy Reid. Does Andy Reid call the defensive plays? He does not. Who's their who's their DC? I don't know off the top of my head. I can all look right. it up. Oh, I don't care that much. Um, all right, third quarter defensive touchdowns allowed. Uh, the most in the league has been the Carolina Panthers. They have allowed fourteen. Uh, this is followed by the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Cleveland Browns, and the Houston Texans, each with eleven. Uh, their defensive coordinator is Steve Spagnuolo. Oh, I actually know that name. Yeah. Do you have anything uh, to say about these uh these four teams here? Uh, at the top, I don't know. Like the Texans, I don't. Off the top of my head, I don't feel like they have a terrible defense this year. The Browns, I didn't think had a terrible defense this year. The Panthers have been absolutely awful as of late. Um, but again, yeah, these aren't tremendous defenses. They're you know the Broncos down at ten or at nine, excuse me. Uh, are kind of the biggest surprise up top. Um, but yeah, I got nothing crazy to say here. Yeah, you don't either. All right. The best team in the third quarter defensively, the New England Patriots have allowed two touchdowns all season in the third quarter. Go Bill Belichick, I suppose. <laughs> uh, that followed by a tie between the Baltimore Ravens, the Minnesota Vikings, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Seattle Seahawks, who have each allowed five. Yeah, again, these are good defenses, and like we said earlier, they all have good coaches. All right, now when it matters most, defense performance in the fourth quarter. This team has allowed the most touchdowns. Ooh, it's a tie for the most touchdowns allowed in the fourth quarter. 14, the Detroit Lions and the Arizona Cardinals. Not a surprise, <laughs> either one of them. No, I'd agree. Not not a huge surprise at all. This followed by the Seahawks and the Saints with 13 allowed. Yeah, those are big surprises. Yes. Anyway, what's funny? Uh, If you look at the Cardinals and the Lions in the first and third quarters, they're not really allowing all that many touchdowns regardless. Uh, In the second and fourth quarters, they are allowing quite a bit. Yes, many, 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 (laughs) many. It's just funny how that works out like that. Yeah, life is fucking weird. Uh, the best team, just to move, move on through this, the best team in the fourth quarter, the New England Patriots, they've allowed three touchdowns all season, followed by a tie between the Vikings, Cowboys, and Bengals, probably because most teams stopped scoring on the Bengals by the fourth quarter because they would like to go home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fuck the You Bengals. are not wrong. Yeah. All right, so all this culminating with... Um, Let's think of it as this. Let's say 
every single team is playing this week and they're all playing on Sunday. We are going to find for you the best team to watch or the best game to watch for each quarter so you can flip through your channels effectively. Love it. So now just doing simple addition between first quarter offensive touchdowns gained and defensive touchdowns allowed, the team with the most shit going on in the first quarter, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have 20 cumulative touchdowns, I guess, happening in the first quarter, followed by the uh, with 19, a big old tie between the Vikings, Ravens, Niners, Packers and Chiefs. Uh, again, a weird <laughs> appearance by the Tampa, B- Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But if you are looking to watch a touchdown happen, you have your best chance of doing it in the first quarter with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, I don't know if it's surprising when they have a guy who throws the ball up just so much every game in Jameis Winston and just don't have a defense to stop anyone. Uh, you know, their yeah. passing defense is so bad. Yes, it is. Uh, if you w- games to avoid for first quarter touchdown scoring, the Buffalo Bills and Chicago Bears uh, each have only scored or allowed a total of seven touchdown touchdown events. Uh, the Steelers only have eight. The Rams only have nine and the Texans only have 10. So yeah. if you turn in, if you turn tune in to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers game, you've literally double the odds of seeing a touchdown that you do if you watch a Houston Texans game, which is v- just weird to say. Yes, it's a very strange sentence. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to watch a game in the second, all right, so that that that's all well and good. First quarter wrapped up. What do I watch in the second quarter, Josh? I I need to know. Well. Uh, numbers tell us you should watch the Oakland Raiders because the Oakland Raiders have 28 touchdown events happen in the second quarter, uh, followed by the Tampa Buccaneers with 25. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, followed by another big old tie at 24 between the Dolphins, Giants, Cowboys, and Ravens. But if you are looking to maximize your touchdown watching experience, you should go from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Oakland Raiders. I mean, if you want to enjoy football, you shouldn't be going from the Buccaneers to the Raiders. But if you just like touchdowns, that's the way to do it. Yeah, that's all we're interested in is watching touch. If you want to avoid uh, teams to avoid for second quarter matchups, the Jacksonville Jaguars have only had eight touchdowns, touchdown events. Uh, The Denver Broncos have only had nine. Everyone else has at least 13. (laughs) It's just so not good. (laughs) Oh, geez. All right, the third quarter. All right, if you want to watch touchdown scoring in the third quarter, your best odds are with the Carolina Panthers at 22, followed by the Houston Texans at 21, and then a tie between the Eagles and Saints at 20. So far, our order of games is first quarter, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, second quarter, Oakland Raiders, and third quarter, Carolina Panthers. This is a weird day for football. Listen, I know you said I would love this topic. I'm beginning to love it less and less when we're finding these things out. This is this is hurting. This is amazing. Uh, <laughs> the worst team to watch in the third quarter is the Jets, which I yeah, have experienced. Yeah. Uh, they've scored. Huh? 
Can you attest to that? Are they? Oh the God, yes, I can. Watch the third Fuck, quarter? we're awful. Uh, <laughs> it's not even fun to watch. Uh, that followed by the Redskins and Bengals, each with ten touchdown events in the third quarter, followed by the Lions with eleven, and then actually the Raiders and Chargers with twelve. All right, and this will answer for us two questions as we approach the fourth quarter of which team is most exciting to watch in the fourth quarter. And how do we conclude our football watching football game day watching experience? And you should conclude it by watching either because we have a tie, the Arizona Cardinals or the Houston Texans, each of whom have 26 touchdown events happening in the fourth quarter. So if you were to have a day of football and you wanted to really maximize your touchdown watching experience and all 16 games were happening at the same time, you should watch. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the first quarter, the Oakland Raiders in the second quarter, the Carolina Panthers in the third quarter, and then you should probably watch the Texans in the fourth quarter. And for uh, overtime, drink some bleach. Yeah, just kill yourself. Uh, <laughs> that is followed by the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks at 25 and the Atlanta Falcons with 24, uh, which you would think they would be so much higher, but it's because their defense is like weirdly good in the fourth quarter. But <laughs> Yeah, the worst team in uh, to watch in the fourth quarter is the New England Patriots. They have 10 total touchdown events in the fourth quarter, followed by a tie between the Bengals, Broncos, and Steelers, each with 12 uh, fourth quarter touchdown events. So the uh, if you are a fan of the Cardinals or the Texans, congratulations. You have survived, uh, I guess... What would have been thought as of a stressful season, though not for Cardinals fans because you're bad, but <laughs> probably for Texans fans because you're actually uh, supposed to be good. And you are nine and five. That's good. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow this throughout the rest of the season, man. I just I don't know if I can commit to the Raiders and the Cardinals and the Texans. and I, I don't know if I could watch these teams. The Bucks, I feel like I could watch. I feel like that's a dumpster fire in so many great ways. Like that is team chaos of the NFL. But whew, if you're actively switching between these games to watch essentially bad teams play football, more power to you. I think yeah, you absolutely should. So let's actually look at um the upcoming games for this week, uh, okay. which is week uh, sixteen. Six. Oh, thank you, God. I do not want to count. You know how we hate counting. Uh, so week six teams. Let's see. Who are the Bucks playing? The, uh, the Bucks are playing the Texans. <laughs> oh, look how perfectly right. life happens. Life comes at you good. So uh, I just want to say uh, we're both just we're both saying you should watch the Texans and the Buccaneers, but we both know that we will both be watching Steelers Jets. And wishing we were watching Texans Buccaneers. Yes. So between the Texans and the Buccaneers, they have a combined thirty touchdown events because the Buccaneers only or the Texans only have uh, ten in the first quarter. But regardless, that's pretty good. I don't think anyone else is really going to come that close. So who are, are the Ravens playing? Or do they have off? Yeah, the Ravens are playing the Browns, who uh, I don't think are that interesting. Oh, no, Ravens-Browns actually probably outdo them 33. Uh, I don't feel like doing math for all of these, though. So, yeah, uh, watch watch the Bucks texans That's a good one. Uh, are the Raiders playing? Who are the Raiders playing on the... The Chargers. Uh, oh, that's, that shouldn't go. be... Uh, oh, good. I'm glad that they moved back. Um, <laughs> the Chargers? 
are a terrible second quarter team. The Chargers only have 17 second quarter uh, touchdown events for a combined 45 touchdown events between the two of them because the Raiders uh, are both good and bad in the second quarter. So there you go. There's that one. Uh, then for the third quarter, let's find those Carolina Panthers playing the Colts. Playing the Colts. There you go. One, one, one would hope. Colts are number seven on our third quarter uh, event list. Uh, I guess actually tied for uh, first, second, third, fifth, fifth, tied for fifth, 19. That's that's 41 touchdown events right there for the, between those two teams. And then uh, let's, well, then we loop back to the, to the Texans Buccaneers game to finish this shit off, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you could finish it off with Cardinals Seahawks. Cardinals were up there. Yeah, but fuck them, you know. I fuck them all to death. Fuck them real good. Fuck them real good. Uh, so, Corwin, what do you think of uh, my hard-hitting analysis? I, I did love it. I didn't want to love it. There are some pretty, uh, some pretty ugly conclusions that we had to come to. Like, you should be watching the Cardinals or the Raiders. But in all, it was very insightful, and I enjoyed myself. Thanks for having me well, on. There you go. You are, you are welcome, my friend. Um, I, I also have the, uh, NFL splits that would give us the total for, uh, by quarter, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, you know, I'm not sure it, it matters all that much. Um, one of the things that is interesting is, uh, interceptions. So in the first quarter, the NFL total has 66 interceptions given up in the first quarter. Okay. Uh, So across all 32 teams over the course of 15 games thus far, like that's not, that's not a lot. Uh, Then 93 in the second quarter. So it goes up. Oh yeah. Then down to 83 in the third quarter. So a little drop, but still kind of high. And then it just jumps to 120. Yeah. That's, you know, the James Winston, the fucking duck Hodges, just chucking balls open for something to happen. And then there's a single interception thus far this season in uh in overtime. Overall, first half uh, of the of the game total in the NFL this season, 159 interceptions. Second half, 203. Just just shy of 50 more. Uh so second half is a dangerous place to be chucking your balls around, my friends. <laughs> Keep it on the dirt. I swear I'm not laughing because he said balls. I swear. But he is. <laughs> but he is. Uh, also, to go in hand with that, um, there's also passer rating here, which I thought was kind of cool. 96.3 passer rating in the first quarter on average in the NFL. 91.8 in the second quarter. So it goes down. You know, first quarter, you got the scripted plays like Corwin talked about. Second quarter, like you're still there. Uh, third quarter, 92.1. So like so far for these first three quarters, like everything's going hunky-dory. And then the fourth quarter comes along, 85.3. Just nosedives down there, seven points lower. Why does, uh, anyone, yeah. why does anyone pass the ball in the fourth quarter, Corwin? Uh, you know what? You got me. I don't know. Run the rock, bro. Yeah, apparently only the Falcons can do it. <laughs> so why is everyone else even trying? <laughs> I have no idea. Why try? Honestly, why try? Let's make let's make football a forty five minute game. Let's make football short again. Let's make it into three fifteen minute segments like it's hockey. 
Sure. Ooh, Corwin, news okay. has been announced just before we finish recording. What? The Pro Bowl rosters got revealed. Oh, yeah. that I am already have that up, ready to talk about uh, us doing this on Sunday. Oh, we can wait for Sunday. Yeah, because there's a lot here for us to unwind. Yeah, I opened it up because I, uh, in my mind, I was thinking, well, you know, it's like it's like the MLB where there's like nine or ten names again. No, there's like seventy-five names. There's so yeah, many there's, names. There's a lot. So, so yeah, we'll just we'll just go over that on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, uh, spoiler alert: Tyler Matakevich did not make the Pro Bowl roster as a special teamer, so I will be in New York uh, joining the riots because that's a damn shame. I just want to make sure that my boy Jamal Adams did make it. That's my guy. We'll talk more about it later, though. Hey, who's the other safety that's uh, on there with him? Earl Thomas. Oh. Mm. Yeah, Baltimore Gross. Ravens. Uh, all right. Anything else to say about this subject, my friend, before we wrap it all up? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, if you want to follow the show... Do so at Juicy Pod. Tell us your favorite team. We might read their stats more. <laughs> um, if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. And we have show notes at juicingthenumbers.wixsite.com slash website. I'm not repeating it. Go there and find out. Uh, until Monday, <laughs> y'all have a good one. Or don't. <laughs>